This message was presented at the GYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be together. Lord, we know that you want to speak into each life in this room. Father, we want to open our hearts, open our, uh, become vulnerable to what you might have to say about our habits, about our experiences and our, our media. And so, Father, we just ask you to speak in a clear and convicting way that each of us might be able to come away from this changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask for a show of hands. How many of you were here for all four sessions yesterday? Not that many. How many of you here were here for just one session yesterday? Okay, and how many of you are here for the first time? Oh, that's quite a few. You probably heard you needed to get here early, and so you've been sitting enjoying the clip. We decided to put that on so that you can have something to take a look at while, while you waited today, but we are now officially ready to begin the fifth part of our seminar series together at GYC. It's called The End of Boredom. And with so far, if you've not been with us for the other sessions, we've taken an in-depth look into the issues in media and entertainment. And mainly, we were looking at things like music and how music affects us and, and Hollywood and the advertising industry and just the effects of television on the brain and upon human societies. We also took a look at the issue yesterday afternoon of video gaming and addiction and how addictions work in the brain and also just the gaming culture and how we get so sucked into that, how it can be so immersive and so entrapping. Now, after yesterday, we learned a lot basically about what the problems are with these media and why they become so addictive. And, and so if you're left wondering, well, how do we overcome? What do we do? What steps do we take to make sure that we can get through this and, and, and develop a more balanced relationship with our media? Be sure to be here tomorrow. That is where we're going to cover principles for overcoming. In fact, at this point, I should mention that Chad and Fadia Cruiser, their Anchor Point Films Ministry, also carries a DVD series called The Overcoming Seminar. And that would be something even more so than we're going to be able to cover in an hour tomorrow that I want to submit to you as well. But uh, my ministry, Belt of Truth Ministries, we've, we founded this ministry on the heels of this Media on the Brain seminar. I'm a teacher. My name is Scott Ritzema, by the way. I'm a teacher at Great Lakes Adventist Academy. And being a teacher for the last 11 years, I've seen this media stuff become more and more and more a part of our lives, but not just necessarily a part of our lives. It begins to, at some point, take over, doesn't it? And so I launched into this uh, trying to understand it for myself. I've got two little children. What kind of media exposure are we going to have in our home? How can I better advise my students on these issues? And that brought us the Media on the Brain seminar. So if, if you're here for the first time and you've missed all the other parts, the first four parts, I want to encourage you to, not, not during the Sabbath hours, but during any time you can get into the exhibit hall that's not Sabbath time, we have a full DVD series of everything that we're covering here at GYC. And I know there was some confusion on that about people wondering, well, what's on the DVDs and, and what are you doing live here? Basically, what we're covering live on the Media on the Brain seminar is, is, is maybe about half of everything that's on the DVDs or a little less than half of everything that's on the DVDs. So if you've been here for all the sessions, you've gotten, a, you know, you're, you're gotten about half the material if you've been here for all six sessions this week. But I, I want to encourage you to get down there to the exhibit booth and make sure to pick that up, not just so that you can learn the rest, 
but so that we can share this. And Chad and Fadia and I firmly believe that when we come to GYC, we know this is a group of people that are coming together from various places and then going back who are active, engaged people doing the work. And so we're taking kind of a, a, a rock right here and dropping it in the pond. And the, the pond is, is the, the spot where the rock drops is, is us right here. But you guys are the ripples that go out. And so what really excites me is not when I hear folks who are at the seminar say, that was a blessing, my family's making changes, we're drawing closer to Jesus. What really excites me is when people say that I've never even heard of. My brother-in-law in, in East Texas or in Alaska or whatever is, is viewing your material and making their family or making changes. So I just, I, I urge you, please share our material with others because th we can only reach so many in a room this size and with, with, our, uh, with, the, with the, the scope that we have. But without saying anything more about the ministries, I want to share some information to you that has been very, very important personally for me. And it has to do with how God designed reality, how God designed our lives to exist. Yesterday we talked about gaming, and that was the counterfeit reality, we called it. The, the false world that is crafted and created by your video game designers of today. Well, God has created a world, and he's created a wonderful world for us to live within, and he is a God of pleasure. I want to quote this evangelical Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias. don't agree with everything he says, but I love this statement from him. He says, the closer we get to a pure and holy pleasure, the closer we are to the heart of God. Do you, do you believe that today? The closer we get to a what kind of pleasure? Pure and holy pleasure, the, the closer we are to the heart of God. Now sometimes we're used to thinking of pleasure itself as a bad thing. And certainly there are a lot of worldly pleasures because the rest of the quotation says, the further we get from a pure and holy pleasure, the further we are from the heart of God. So we might be into impure and unholy pleasures and we're far from the heart of God. But there's another way that we get far from the heart of God. And that is by shunning all things happy and sunny. And we have a cold, gloomy religion. And I want to make sure that when we talk about giving up our uh, addictive media and, and worldly things in our lives, it's not because we want to now live a somber existence where we don't smile. No, not, not even close. We talked in the music session about how when we sing a, a song, a hymn of joy, we should sing it joyfully. We should have the, 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 the spirit should feel the, the emotion of the song and, and it, should be, it should be a part of our experience as well. Now, God created many different things to give us a sense of pleasure. Just a few examples. If you, if you help a needy child, doesn't pleasure follow? If you study the Bible in a group, if you ever shared the truth with somebody and that light bulb goes off for them, does pleasure follow? Oh man, there's nothing better. I was just speaking with my mother and father who are not Seventh-day Adventists. I've been in the church for five years. They are, I grew up Christian in the Christian Reformed Church and uh, my dad said to me, Scott, I've never read through the Bible. And, and my interest in the Bible and my conversations with him have, have given him a little bit of a, a challenge. He said, I'm gonna read through the Bible. So he read through the Bible and he got up to the book of Revelation. And he said, you know what? I've never heard sermons on Revelation. Why doesn't our church community study Revelation? And I'm like, yeah, why don't they? Like, come on, let's study Revelation together. And so we, we, came, we were talking about the lake of fire. And I said, yeah, and so you read in, in, in Revelation 20 here in, in, in the millennium, you read about that in, in the lake of fire where, where the wicked are destroyed. This is where my mom chimes in and she says, actually, you know what? Scott said the wicked are destroyed in hell. And what I actually think now is it might be true that 
the wicked don't burn in hell for eternity. My mom says, she does, she's not Adventist. She doesn't believe this. I didn't know so until this point. And then, and then she says, and you know what? One thing I'm sure of is that when you die, you're, li- you're really just asleep. And, and then you wake up at the resurrection and you're not, you're not in heaven or hell while dead. I'm like wanting to jump out of my chair. And like for five years, I've wanted to hear my mom say this. Light bulb went off in her head. I had given her great controversy, by the way. That's how she, he, she came to this truth. She read the book cover to cover, and that's how she came to believe this. She said, it's this reading material Scott has been giving me to read. And I'm going like, uh-oh, is my dad going to, what is he doing? But you know, the, my parents are so open-minded. I love my folks, and, and they're, they're learning. And, and doesn't, doesn't pleasure follow when you see somebody come to the truth? How about when you view a beautiful sunset? Pleasure follows. When, when you go to a, a beautiful sunny afternoon, we don't have very many of those in Michigan this time of year, but... Uh, here and here in Florida, we've enjoyed a little bit of warmer weather, and you have a Sabbath afternoon with your family, whatever. Pleasure follows, right? When you study the Bible for yourself, pleasure does follow. We're going to talk more about that in a little while. How about you invest in a, in a marital relationship? Pre- pleasure follows. When you attend a joyful wedding celebration, accomplish a difficult task, or enjoy a nutritious meal, pleasure definitely follows. So God designed it to go that way. What have I been saying? Pleasure follows. Now, that's an, important, that's an important order of events. That we live life God's way, pleasure naturally follows. So we aren't hedonistic people going out in search of the pleasures as if they are an end in themselves, but we just allow life as God designed it and built it to operate to bring the natural pleasures. Now, here's a, uh, a, a quotation from education about this issue of recreation. And we find a lot of things to do with our downtime. And, and this quotation really helps us understand a little bit of this balance. Recreation, when true to its name, recreation, tends to strengthen and build up. Calling us aside from our ordinary cares and occupation, it affords refreshment for mind and body and thus enables us to return with new vigor to the earnest work of life. Amusement, on the other hand, so we have recreation versus what? Amusement is sought for the sake of pleasure and is often carried to excess. It absorbs the energies that are required for useful work and thus proves a hindrance to life's true success. So whether we're seeking amusement in media or in something else, we've got to be careful that it's not amusement we are after, but true recreation and recreation in the way that we find balance in our lives. Do you know what the word amusement actually means? The word amusement comes from two root words, ah and muse, and to muse means to think deeply about something, to ponder something. And what does it mean when you put the letter A in front of a word? It negates it, right? So to amuse means to be amused means to not think. That's an interesting etymology of the word. We live in a culture, if you attended our seminars earlier, you learned how the, the frontal lobe is literally turned off when we're doing a lot of these media. And so we are not thinking. We are engaged in Straight up amusements, and that's a concern. So how do you test your activities? Let's, let's go through some different things that we do as people to get distracted and get amused, and it's stuff that has not been helpful, at least in my life. And one of the, one of the scriptures that really helps me with this, this really struck me the first time I, I studied this, and I said, wow, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that's quite a statement. It says, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. How often? Always. I'm always giving myself to work, the work of the Lord. So even in my recreation, am I in a way giving myself to the work of the Lord because I'm being rebuilt up for that work, aren't I? 
Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. What's this picture of? What story is this? This is Gideon's soldiers, right? How did God help Gideon know which guys to let go who were not qualified to come to the battle? How, do, how did they drink differently? The ones who were dismissed got down on their knees, didn't they? So they're down here all immersed in the water. They're totally into the drinking of water experience. By the way, is drinking water bad? No. So it's not a matter of, you know, they were watching some immoral, demonic, like, entertainment stuff. They were doing some good recreation, but they were doing it in a way that distracted them. The other guys didn't get down. It doesn't say they got down on their knees. So they were up like this, and they were bringing the water up here. They had their eyes on the game, right? They were ready as soldiers. And so even while they were taking recreation, they never lost sight of the battle, of the mission, and that's what we need to think about with our recreation. Are we losing sight of the spiritual mission, the spiritual battle that we are on? Now, for me, personally, boy, this is where I shared about music the other day, yesterday. That was hard for me because I, I was a musician. I played in a band. And this is my, my second great vice that the Lord has removed from me. And this one came even later than, than giving up this horrible music that I was into. And this vice of mine was the spectator sports vice. Oh, man, I was a big college basketball fan. I had to watch every Michigan State game. And I was, like, following all the scores and, and, and all the highlights. And, you know, you know what it's like. Many of you are, are presently into that. And it's fun, right? And, and, and largely, you're not looking at something where, and like, like with the, the music industry or something like this, where, where, where there's so much blatant immorality. But maybe there is. I want to examine this a little bit more closely. As the Lord spoke to me on this issue of spectator sports, I want to share a clip with you, actually, about a gentleman who uh, gave up this particular habit. I always thought, boy, would it be fun you know, and exciting to be on a NASCAR you know, pit crew racing, going all over the country and stuff. And as I looked at the time that those guys spent, it's a 16-hour-a-day job, five days a week, load the car up, get to the racetrack, the race is on Sunday, load the thing up, get back to the shop. I realized that I couldn't give that commitment to it and have a family. You know, as a result of that, I became a, an avid fan, always kind of maybe vicariously living through the, you know, the television, something that I wish that I could have done, but just didn't want to make the, the sacrifice for it. In the few hours that I had on the weekends to spend with my children, I was making it a priority to watch sporting events, whether it was a NASCAR race in the summer or football in the fall. I believe that I was a slave to television. I, I let it dictate what Nick Wasdrup was going to do and when he was going to do it by, by what I wanted to watch. I'm a mechanic by trade. I, I work a lot of hours. If I'm not here to impact my children as much during the week, and then I'm spending six hours on a Sunday watching you know, football games or three and a half hours watching NASCAR races, that's really showing my children with the limited amount of time that I have available to them, this is more important to me. And every race is the most important race until the race is over, and then it's next weekend's race. And you realize you're just being sucked into a, into a cycle, and then you're buying into it. You have to keep watching to see what's important. Who's dictating what's important? It's not me. I want my children to realize that you know, God is the center of my life, not the television. That was the real um, gut check for me, the real heart check for me. The other thing is it influences your mood. With sports, if your team doesn't win, you know, the rest of the day is ruined for your family because you're grumpy. Or if your favorite NASCAR driver didn't, you know, didn't bring home the trophy, um, your family's suffering because you're upset. As I was watching these things and I started to pay attention to what was happening in the commercials, um, 
all of a sudden you start to realize this thing is controlling and training not only me, but more so my children. That was the part that really, really became upsetting to me. I had to get away from that. I didn't want my kids to see that those were the values that I was holding above all else. I realized that just unscrewing it from the wall wasn't gonna be enough. I, I had to take a pair of wire cutters and cut that cable into pieces. I physically disconnected it and I cut it. Now the bridge has been destroyed to the past. We have to go forward. No, I don't regret it at all. I don't miss television at all. As my you know, friends will say, did you see so-and-so in a movie? I don't even know who the so-and-so is, let alone what the movie was. I have no idea who's the, the, um, you know, the popular actresses or actors or you know, what, the, what the box office smash was. But I can tell you, you know, when Samantha rode her bicycle for the first time without training wheels, I can tell you those things. I can't remember any of those games, but I can, I can remember a lot of those, those things that, that I would have missed out on if I hadn't have taken those cutters and cut that cable. Powerful testimony, huh? Oh, I love that one. It's from an excellent film called Captivated. It's a documentary on media put out by some good evangelical Christian folks. But uh, I happen to know the filmmaker of that. And uh, we, you can pick that video up at our online store, beltoftruthministries.com. But you, you heard the, 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 the steps he had to take. I mean, you don't just free yourself from some habit, some media compulsion, uh, you know, by taking, oh, measured steps. I'll, I'll cut down a little bit. No, I had to physically disconnect that cable and cut that thing. And now the bridge from, to, from the past is, 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 is gone. And, and what, a, what a blessing you can hear uh, that he found freedom. And so, you know, I, my experience is the same. When I gave it up, I thought that I was giving, like doing something that was going to be really hard for me and it was going to make my life less good. And actually quite the opposite happened. Um, and what I found, I, I did a little digging on the, um, the research on this. There's not a whole lot of research on the viewing of spectator sports. It's not a niche that, that there's been a lot of studies on. But one study really spoke to me. Um, do you know the, uh, the, the percentage increase in mortality from heart attacks that takes place if you eat one serving of red meat per day. It's 19% increase in mortality from heart attacks if you eat one serving of red meat per day. What they found in, in London hospitals is that heart attack rates spiked 25% immediately on and just after a big game day in London. Now you might say, what? How are heart attack rates going up that much when you are viewing a spectator sports event? Well, if you think about it, you're on the edge of your seat. You're all, you're all excited. You've got this adrenaline rush. The stress cascade is happening. Your body is ex experiencing something very intense. And uh, we were designed to, to have this response, like maybe a lion is chasing us. <laughs> we're running from a lion, right? There's supposed to be a physical exertion, and we're fighting that lion off. But up in Michigan, we just sit behind the television, and we watch the lions. And they're losing again. And we get frustrated. <laughs> and, and so we're just sitting there. The body is supposed to be doing something and it's, it, it's a tax on the cardiovascular system. You get the fight or flight response and it's actually a 200 or 300-400% increase in blood flow. I don't know if you know that's actually what's happening in your body when you're all fired up about the game. Or it's, this is the same thing with video games and the same thing with exciting movies. But it also, you know, I was, I was examining the morality of it. When I was a kid, um, in the 80s, you know, we, there was such a thing as cheerleaders, and, and not to endorse that even, but they, they, were, they were cheerleaders, right? Today, are they cheerleaders or are they uh, exotic dancers? 
and I don't mean to be rude to those, those young ladies, they, they're, but I don't need to subject myself to that, right? It's very, very, very enticing kind of thing that you see. On the, you're, you're trying to watch the game, and here you are trying to overcome lust, which we're going to talk about a little later too. And this is being, your brain is being assaulted with this stuff. No thanks. We learned about mirror neurons earlier. Chad taught you about the scientist and the monkey, and whatever the monkey saw with his eyes, it was as if his brain was not just seeing it, but doing it. So if we are viewing aggression, if we are viewing particularly maybe a more violent, aggressive sport, it's not just watching it. Our brain is actually experiencing that as well. So another question I ask myself is when I'm watching this stuff, uh, modeling, you're familiar with the term modeling from the psychology community. We call it by beholding we become changed, right? The coaches, the fans, the players, is it Christ-like behavior that's being modeled? Uh, not really. I was talking to a father who had attended our seminar. He's like, you know what? We, I've been watching the game with my kids, and I realize now, when I was a kid, he was about 45, so he says, when I was a kid in the 70s, it, it, the, 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 the behavior was a lot more professional, but today it's, it's, it's really quite embarrassing. Like, I, I cringe when my kids are watching some of this stuff, and it's just not appropriate. So, continuing on with, with some thoughts, I actually found that I was hoping for people to lose and perform poorly. Is that Christian? When I'm going, yeah, beat them. Yeah, you guys take that. You're going down. Like, can you see Jesus doing that? It's just not. The, the fact that nobody, nobody ever you know, convict, shared a message with me on that, I hope it's just a given. But to me, I needed to come to terms with that. And it, it wasn't making me more Christ-like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Are these the things that come out when we are all fired up about the sports competition? I'm not thinking they are. And what happens within me when they make a bad call? Oh, look out. Oh, man. <laughs> Why do we get so upset about that? But then, like, you know, there's great injustices in the world, and there are people dying, like, lost souls who have not heard the gospel, and that, does, that hardly phases me. But when they call the bad call, I'm, like, so upset about it. Come on, let's get our priorities here. Uh, we call it a fan, right? What does fan stand for? As <laughs> a fanatic. So you talk about fanaticism. Here's, here's, here's to the fan of sports, and I'm talking about myself. I'm not trying to be rude to anybody in here. To me, I was, it, it, I was a fanatic because the game was worthy of my attention, hours of attention during the game, but not just during, before and after. It was the subject of my conversation. It was what I argued over and defended. It was like the, the passion of my life. There was more passion about my team than about real life. Like, this, this team is just a game. It's just, it's kind of like the video gaming thing. If they made that shot or won that victory, 98 to 97 in overtime, what did that team actually accomplish? Nothing. They have not produced anything. Like, if I'm going to be a fan of something, maybe I'll, like, root on, you know, GM or Ford or something, because they're, they're making cars, right? They're doing something. But these guys are not accomplishing anything of value for anybody other than sheer amusement. Now, when I realized I knew more of the statistics and more of the names of the players than I knew of the scriptures and the names of the heroes of the faith, I realized that my priorities were out of whack. And God called me on this. And I'll tell you, I'm really happy that I, that I moved away from this because it's, it's, been a, it's been a blessing not having to waste my time on that. I now have more time. But I'm appreciating the noble things. Teamwork, sportsmanship, the fruits of their hard work, the talents God gave them. I'll grant that there are occasionally some noble things that you will find in the sports world, but my question is not, are there noble things? But my question is, are we following Philippians 4.8, which says that we should dwell on the pure, the pure? 
If we're looking for the good to outweigh the bad, if we're looking to consume things for our media or do recreation where there's good and bad, but the good outweighs the bad, the devil has lots of options for us. Because he's going to entice us with some good and some truth, and then he wraps his, this, this wonderful-looking, uh, you know, fruity, tasty, uh, healthy thing, and he wraps it in some sort of candy coating, and then, and then in the middle you bite down and there's poison in it too. And so that's what I found with the sports world. There's just so much toxic stock stuff. Um, so the good definitely doesn't counteract that. And really to me, it came down to how I was using my time. I like this quote from uh, the scripture from Ephesians 5, which says, therefore, be careful how you walk, making the most of your what? Your time, because the days are evil. Brothers and sisters, were the days more evil today or back in Paul's day? Today, we're in the last days. The love of most will grow cold, immorality all around us. So if his counsel was true back then, Make the most of your time for the days are evil. How much more today do we have to make the most of our time because the days are that much more evil today and we know we are in the time where the close of probation is soon upon us. And so we've got to be making the most of our time. Now here's a, a 19th century, not even an Adventist, a second grade awakening preacher. He understood the urgency of the times. Again, how much more for us Adventists? But he says, no amusement can be innocent that involves the squandering of precious time that might be better employed to the glory of God and the good of man. Life is short. Time is precious. We have but one life to live. Much is to be done. The world is in darkness. A world of sinners are to be enlightened and, if possible, saved. We are required to work while the day lasteth. Our commission and work require dispatch. No time is to be lost. If our hearts are right, our work is pleasant. If rightly performed, it affords the highest enjoyment. Our work itself affords the highest enjoyment, said Charles Finney. Isn't that something? I like that quote. That's meant a lot to me personally, because I'll tell you, I've been on both sides of this. I've been totally media immersed. I, I, I played the video games as a childhood. That was Nintendo, a little different than today, but very much into the movies, especially the music, especially the spectator sports. But now that I'm off of all of that hyperstimulation, I'll tell you, I, am, I have way more fun doing the work of God. I, have, I am much more happy doing the work of God than I ever was seeking these pleasures. Now I'm going to ask, uh, what, what is it that obscures our, our sense of God's presence? Maybe it's not spectator sports. So I'm going to hand it over to Chad to bring up another issue in our lives that may be affecting us. You know, what is, here, here's something very interesting. When we think about the internet, when we think about different things that are not necessarily innately bad, I want you to think about this. They've actually done studies and they have discovered that the more time you, f you spend on Facebook, you're actually more depressed. Isn't that kind of an interesting thought? When we think, but they've also discovered that when people are looking at, at Facebook, specifically women, I believe, that um, they have actually, in, they have their oxytocin, which takes place uh, in close relationships. It also takes place during breastfeeding. It also takes place when the women are watching, when they're on Facebook. Like these connections feel so tight that there's, it, you know, I don't know that they would use the word addicting, but basically something begins to take place to people while they're on Facebook. But I want you to think about this. When you're on Facebook, now I do not believe Facebook is innately evil, but the problem is even things that are okay can actually become troubling. And so when you're on Facebook, where's your mindset? Is it on yourself? Are you constantly thinking about your profile pic? Did anybody notice I just changed my profile? How many people noticed? Like, like, right? Oh, look, you know, 
uh, my image, uh, am I thinking about my image I want to portray to people? My popularity constantly, you know, and, and here's the other deal. When, when people are on Facebook many times, why might it be that you might feel depressed while you're on Facebook? Uh, could it be because you're sitting on Facebook and somebody's like, I'm out to eat, eating a burger. And you're like, I'm just sitting here on Facebook, right? <laughs> I'm out, I'm in Florida. And you're like, man, everybody's having fun. Everybody's having fun. And I'm wasting my life on Facebook looking at other people's life, right? <laughs> you know? And, and the fact is, is, listen, nobody is out having fun all the time. But there's always people having fun on Facebook, so it looks like everybody's having fun but you, right? And so you're living your life secondarily instead of actually living your life, right? So I think you get the idea. But notice this. Uh, a, a 2010 study showed that today's young adults have become the most narcissistic people on record. What does that mean? What is narcissistic? They love their self more than any generation ever, right? And maybe that's because we're always trying to show the world, look at me, look at me, selfies, right? Taking pictures of ourselves, right? Now, it's interesting that one of the, one of the distorted mental uh, you know, pathways or the ways of thinking, I should say, that we have is that when people are on Facebook, they're actually talking about themselves twice as much as they would in real life. Does that make sense? So do you see, and when you think about self all the time, you're being self-ish. And when you're selfish, does that bring happiness, yes or no? When you are being other-centered and thinking about other people, that actually brings, it, it doesn't make sense according to evolution, but the fact is when you help other people, because evolution is just not true, but because that when you are actually doing good for others, it actually brings peace and joy to your life. But when we're constantly thinking about self, it's actually difficult, it's a problem. Now, so looking at this mindset while we're on Facebook, a 2008 study showed that an irrational drive for popularity People just want to be popular. They want people to think about them. They're willing to do anything to you know, have people, oh, look what I'm doing, and, and just thinking about self. And once again, this is causing people to be depressed. And you think, and I see it, young people actually believe that people like Britney Spears and these different kinds of people are actually happy. I remember back in the day, I don't even think I was an Adventist at the time, I was looking on MTV and I saw Britney Spears, she was on there, and she was just sitting on the show, and I could see in her eyes she was not happy. I could just see it in her eyes. I could see right through her life, and I knew it for a fact. You could just see this lady is unhappy. And it's just a fact that you think, oh, everybody loves you. Nobody knows you, right? They don't love you. You know, they think you're hot or whatever, but the fact is, these people are not happy. You think they are, but why is there so much suicide? Why is there so much, uh, you know, divorce within the media people, right? Within movie stars and so forth. Why is there so much drug abuse, suicide, all of these things? It's not because it brings so much joy. It's because you get to where you think you're going to find happiness, and when you get there, you find out it's not there. Because it's somewhere else, Right? Jesus said, the thief, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus said, and the Bible also tells us that in Colossians, it tells us that, that we are complete in Jesus. We're not incomplete in popularity or with a job or with a nice house or with a nice car. We are not complete in those things. That's why every time we try to find completeness in anything else, we always find that once we attain it, it may feel good for a moment, but then you find emptiness. You are complete in Him. It is not in the things of this world. So uh, think about this for a moment. 
They actually, I mean, you discover that when, when you are looking at these things, there's a connection taking, it's kind of like a reward taking place in your brain. They've done several studies on this, um, that when, you know, there's a reward center in your brain, which happens to be not a part of the higher regions of the brain, but a part of what's called the septal area of the brain, the lower regions of the brain. And it's interesting, you know, Ellen White talks about, you know, the higher powers in the lower nature. And those portions of the brain, as we've already mentioned, for those who have, of us who are here, the lower portions are the ones that have drive for sex and for pleasure and for food and things, things that are not necessarily bad in their right sphere, but those are, that's the lower nature, the higher regions of the brain should govern those areas. And the higher regions of the brain are like the frontal lobe, which has to do with your rational thinking. These things should control the lower areas of the body. But what happens is with a lot of these things, we let our feelings constantly guide. And as a result, we end up having a lot of trouble with these things. Now think about this is when you're on there, and, and it's different for different people, because I know people, I know someone who he witnesses, he's on Facebook and he's witnessing, he's doing wonderful things. So it's not innately bad. But what is your mindset while you're on there, personally? I'm not pointing the finger because maybe you're, maybe you're sharing the gospel with people. Maybe people have given their life to Christ while you're on there. Or, or are you on there with the spirit of gossip? Maybe thinking, oh, what's so-and-so up to? Oh, did you see what she did? Right? I mean, it could be, you know, constantly talking about it. And then, you know, many times, especially as you get older, you see your friends in church have fallen away. And you behold these things and you behold these things. And it's, it's depressing. Right? You know, people see these things. So what's behind the, that driving interest in other people's lives? Is it really a holy thing? Is it really healthy? Constantly looking at other people. And so, once again, it's not innately bad, but something that isn't necessarily innately bad can be driven to excess and can just make you feel like your life is absolutely pathetic. So is it jealousy? A 2008 study showed an increase in relational jealousy. And you can imagine that this can happen very easily because of things like the internet. Now, I, I have no proof for this, but I believe it's probably, there's probably some truth to it. I bet one of, the, one of the largest places that causes, many of you probably aren't married yet, but I'll bet one of the biggest places that causes infidelity in marriage is Facebook. Like, I wonder how she's doing. I haven't seen her in years. Right? Oh, she looks all right. Write her, you know, like secret message. Oh, good to see you, you know. And think about it. Now, I'm not saying you can never, you know, contact old friends or whatever, but the fact is you can imagine how easy it is, right? A lot of times it was out of sight, out of mind, you know, the old, the past flings or whatever, but it could be very easy to get yourself back into jealousy, these kinds of things, as a result of that. Now, is it a spirit of coveting or envy of which other people experience, you know, that you, oh, I wish I had that, I wish I was doing that right now, right? Is it lust or infatuation? So these are some things to consider while you are actually on there. Is it actually making your life better or not? So notice, what's this mindset? Do you experience fear and anxiety over the thoughts of being out of the loop? Oh, I haven't been on there in a while. What, what's going on, right? And the fact is, is young people actually more and more have, have a diminishing quality of just communication with other people, interpersonal relationships, not even knowing how to talk or communicate with each other. Because have you ever been in a situation, be honest, where you're sitting around in a group of young people and the majority of the young people, instead of actually talking to the humans that are in front of them, are actually sitting there texting to people. Like, oh, Billy's eating a burger. Oh. And it's like, you don't even care that you're in front of human beings. You're more interested in the fact that other people are doing worthless things that have nothing to do with your life, right? You see how we're, we've gotten to the point where, because it's like, it's like this, uh, do we talk about the Milner experiment here or in another point? Later. Okay, I won't talk about that then. All right. So 
Now, are your thoughts on God during this time period and the purpose he has for you to bless others? And it may be, maybe you're great at witnessing on there. So that's, you know, it can be a perfect thing for you. So it's not necessarily bad, but kind of judging it yourself. How am I within this situation? Is it actually beneficial to my spiritual life or am I wasting away life as a result of this? And are you crafting an image, a persona that portrays a different you that is not really real? Right? That's very easy to do. Because you can put out what you want people to think about you on there and not really reveal the true you, right? Put the, your best foot forward and so forth. So these are some things to think about. Now, texting. Now, not, once again, texting isn't bad in and of itself. It can be a great way to communicate. But teens aged 13 to 17, uh, on average, they have 3,339 text messages per month. Female teens have over 4,000, right? This is a good example of what teens look like most of the time these days, right? not paying attention to the humans around them, you know? And so, uh, now, texting isn't innately bad, but the fact is, is once again, people don't know how to actually, many times, actually communicate, right? To have a deep conversation, to actually contemplate, because things are constantly flashing up, just another little text. What are you doing? I'm bored, right? Or whatever, you know? <laughs> These things are constantly going back and forth, you know? And Scott was just telling me he was at the, uh, you know, phone store and they said 4,000, that's nothing. You know, these kids have eight, 9,000 or more, right? You know, and remember, this is the average. So there's obviously many who aren't even doing it. So, you know, it can be quite skewed. So hypertexting, you know, constantly texting, it's something that's becoming an issue that people are putting their phones with them in bed, right? <laughs> Listen, and this is off the subject, but just think of the radiation to your brain all the time, right? So, I mean, now that's not what we're even talking about. We're just talking about the issues that take place that constantly thinking, I need to be at hand 24 hours a day if somebody texts me, right? For some worthless communication most of the time, honestly, right? And so, is this really healthy? This is this lifestyle that we're beginning to live. It used to be, uh, many of you young people don't even remember what it was like when we didn't have phones on us every single day, right? I grew up without a phone, and if somebody, if you weren't home, people just couldn't get in contact with you. It's like you didn't exist, right? You know? But now we can constantly communicate with everybody. And so we feel like we have to constantly be in touch when we're really in touch with nobody. Where our communication is not deep. We are not actually having real relationships. We're having texting time, right? And not that it's all bad. It's just that much of it is so superficial that we're losing the human, you know, one-on-one -on -one communication that we're made to have, that we were created to have. Communication, social relationships are given to us by our, our Heavenly Father. And so they're not bad in and of themselves, but we've made them so superficial and so plastic, right? Now, uh, Sherry Tur Turkle, a psychologist who is the director of the Initiative on Technology and Self at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and who has studied texting among teenagers in the Boston area for three years, said it might be causing a shift in the way adolescents developed. If you're being deluged by constant communication, the pressure to answer immediately is quite high. So if you're in the middle of a thought, forget it. And that's one of the problems. I read a book called What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. And one of the issues is that we're getting to the point where we cannot concentrate. Because concentration takes actually thinking for a time period. But because of things like texting and, you know, television or Internet, we, like most people, when you go to an article, if you even go on the news, you read the first few sentences. And then it's on to the next one, right? And so we, we are teaching ourselves not to be able to concentrate. Right? 
And so if you have a thought, forget it because somebody's already texting you and now you have to think about whatever is being texted, right? And so can we actually concentrate? What is the most popular answer to any question I ask a group of young people? If I ask any question, what's the most common answer I get from young people? I don't know. They don't even have an opinion anymore because someone didn't text them or their opinion yet, right? I mean, we just don't even have the ability many times to think for ourselves. And what, what was the quote you shared yesterday about Illinois? What did she say? In the book Education, my favorite quote, the students should be taught to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Right? You know, actually being able to think for yourself, have an opinion when somebody asks you, hey, what do you think about this? You can actually say, you know, here's my perspective. Instead of, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, that's really the answer. And maybe it's not you. You know, we may be different, but the fact is, in general, that is the young people of America. Notice this. What happens is that you have a very specific relationship with your iPhone. Notice this is taken from Apple, the tyrannical rule of cool is a documentary. It says, this is amazing to me. What happens is you have a very specific relationship with your iPhone. What we learned from a very recent study we did was that there were actually two activations happening for people who are in love with their iPhones. Did you hear what I said? I'm in love. Because we actually realized from the study that the same area of the brain that is activated when you're in love with someone is activated when you are in love with your iPhone. But people also had activation in, the, in their amygdala. That's the fear center. And the amygdala is the area that in many ways reflects fear. So there's this actual love and fear relationship with your phone that people constantly think it's maybe the fear of being out of the loop, right? But it's also this love, actually having love for your, this object. Isn't that kind of interesting? Especially in light of when God tells us that we are not to love the world or the things of the world. But if any man love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That they have actually done brain studies looking at mapping the brains of people and noticing that they actually are in love with their phone. Right? And it's what their phone does for them, obviously. But there's also this fear relationship. So very interesting that people have this, this strange love and connection with their phones. Now, one of the things about multitaskers, multitasking, many times we, we pride ourselves on that. But notice this. Attention multi, and, um, multitaskers, if you can pay attention, that is. Your brain may be in trouble. People who are regularly bombarded with several streams of electronic information do not pay attention control their memory or switch from one job to another as well as those who prefer to complete one task at a time. A group of Stanford researchers has found. Meaning, the people who think they're the best multitaskers actually are probably the worst multitaskers. Meaning, what they're good at is getting off the subject, right? Not finishing a task. And so they feel like they're good at it, but the fact is you're actually more efficient when you actually decide to finish a task that you're working on. Now, uh, just a few things to think about. Hewlett-Packard Commission, an IQ test of distract, distracted test takers, meaning they were supposed to be taking a test while emails were bomb bombarding them while they were doing it. So, and, and they, so notice what, the, what were the results here? They noticed there was a 10-point reduction in IQ during this, this test they were taking. So their IQ dropped by 10 points, and this is more than twice the drop that occurs when people are on marijuana. There's a four-point drop when people are smoking marijuana. So what happens is when we're constantly going here and there, now this is not something that's permanent damage done to the brain. It is, you know, when, when people stop actually doing this, your brain can go back to normal functioning. 
But when you're constantly living in a state of, you know, texting, 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 when you should be doing something else. Like, there's a time to text. There's a time for everything. But that time is not when we should be doing something else, right? When we should be doing something else and our brain is going everywhere, it's dropping our IQ during that time period. So uh, while they were instructed not to answer emails, the compulsion to do so at their own demise mirrored the behavior of an addict. People, it's like being addicted to this stuff, you know? Scott's going to come up and share this some more. Thank you, Chad. This is where it gets a little heavier. Pornography addiction is a uniquely dangerous addiction, a uniquely uh, captivating addiction in our culture today. And if you've never seen the statistics on this particular issue, this floored me to see how big of a problem this is. First of all, pornography addiction is uniquely dangerous because it's private. If you're a, a, an unhealthy food addict, if you're a gaming addict, if you're a, a, a drug addict, usually most people know what you're into. But the vast majority of pornography addicts, it is all in the shadows, it is all in private, and the pornography addict is the only one that knows about it. And that makes it that much more dangerous. Secondly, it's free and easily accessible. Unlike having to swipe the credit card to, to, to go on the shopping spree or, or, or empty out the bank account to go to the casino or all the other addictions to buy the drugs, lots of money, you just go online now and it's free and easily accessible. So this addiction is easy to get involved in. Thirdly, there's an extreme novelty in the pornography world. Endless choices can be found there where if one thing isn't satisfying anymore, you go on to the next and the next and the more intense and shocking experiences, the new kinds of pornographic images. Fourthly, the brain tells you enough when you've had a lot of unhealthy food or if you're a drug addict or whatever, you're going to OD or your stomach is full with food. But with pornography, you can just view it for, for endless hours. There's no end to the thrills. Day in and day out, you can always go back. And that's why people are literally doing this for hours and hours a week. Now, here's a quotation that warned us about this. By the way, have you noticed that whenever we take on a major topic in the media on the Brain Seminar, we have a warning from the spirit of prophecy? Games and theatrical performances, hypnotic devices, music, all of these things we've talked about all week. Here's another one. Near the close of this earth's history. This is from Adventist Home 327. Near the close of this earth's history, Satan will work with all his powers in the same manner and with the same temptations wherewith he tempted ancient Israel just before their entering the land of promise. He will lay snares for those who claim to keep the commandments of God and who are almost on the borders of the heavenly Canaan. Is that us? Yes, this is about us. We are almost on the borders of the heavenly Canaan and he will use his powers to their utmost in order to entrap souls and take God's professed people upon their weakest points. Those who have not brought the lower passions into subjection to the higher powers, you just heard Chad talk about that, this is scientifically accurate, lower pa passions into subjection to the higher powers, of their being, those who have allowed their minds to flow in a channel of carnal indulgence of the baser passions, Satan is determined to destroy with his temptations, to pollute their souls with licentiousness. 
That's a word referring to sexual immorality. While God's people are on the borders of the heavenly Canaan, about to cross in to the heavenly Canaan, Satan is going to bring sexual immorality, baser passions, lower nature stuff to destroy God's people. Wow, what a strong and straightforward warning. This is saying watch out for sexual immorality in a more intense way in the last days. Do we have that since the invention of the internet or what? Now I'm going to give you some statistics that I referred to. The average age of first exposure to pornography today is now age nine. And this, I was curious about these numbers among Adventist youth, so I got a hold of uh, some 14, 15-year-old Adventist youth, and I asked them to report anonymously when was their first exposure to pornographic images on the Internet. And in a group of 20 of them, every single one of the American-born kids in the room, there's one refugee who had not grown up with the Internet, but every single one of the American-born kids had, had, had said they viewed it, and the average came down to 8.8 for Seventh-day Adventist 14 to 15-year-olds. Now, you realize that's five-year-old numbers then, right? If a 14-year-old was exposed to it at age 9 or 8.8, that's five years ago. So today's eight-year-olds, it's got to be even lower because it's only moving in that direction. And what ha we, we studied the brain yesterday. When the dopamine system, when, you're, when, you're, when your reward circuitry gets hit with these intensely high levels of dopamine, you're at a young age viewing these things and you're just like, whoa. And these experiences are starting to recondition your mind to a new reality within sexuality. So if you're a young person today, you grew up with the internet. A lot of the, the folks in here grew up with the internet and were probably exposed to this at a very early age. So if you are struggling with this, realize that they, this is like the crack addict, the crack dealer, the, 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 the drug dealer on the corner getting the kids, right? And so they got the kids early on. This is exactly what the pornographers are doing. And we are, we've got to face the fact that we've been, become victims to this system. Now, that doesn't mean we are not going to be able to get out of it. Tomorrow, you're going to hear more about overcoming. But since age nine, we've been struggling with this, many of us. Pornography is used by 87% of college males. 70% of 18 to 24-year-old men visit pornographic sites in a typical month. 66% of men in their 20s and 30s also report to being regular users of pornography. 53% of Christian men, these are evangelical Christians, attending a Promise Keepers event at a baseball stadium or whatever when thousands of men come together for a Christian weekend together. 53% of them in one survey admitted that they had viewed pornography in the previous week. And these are the guys that are like coming to the GYC, right? These are the ones that are more on, you know, on fire for the Lord wanting to come to an event. And the majority of them had viewed it in the previous week. 70% of Christian men admit to struggling with pornography in their daily lives. 70% admit to struggling with this, Christian men in their daily lives. When you look for, at workers uh, for the Lord, I've spoken with pastors who, who've come out of this addiction. They're like, yeah, I was, I was a Bible worker. I was working for the Lord and still struggling with this. 37% of Christian pastors, this is not Adventist, but Christian pastors in America say it's a current struggle for them. And 30% 30, 30 of pastors in one survey admitted that they had viewed it in the previous month. So this is a problem especially plaguing the Christian community. What did we just read in the previous slide? Satan's going to attack God's people in the last days with this particular issue. And the statistics bear it out that it's especially harmful, especially problematic within the Christian community. So moving forward with that, here's a quotation that really, that really struck me. Addicts to, oh, to pornography are 23 times more likely than non-addicts to agree with this statement in a survey. 
discovering online sexual material was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. And that probably comes as no surprise. An addict would say that. They're 23 times more likely than a non-addict to say that. And there are many in this room saying, that's me. I wish I never would have come across this stuff. I wish they never would have tricked me in when I was doing research for my homework and I was 11 and I saw this stuff and I've been on this ever since and I don't like it. The pornography addict is not somebody we look down our nose at. The, the addict isn't somebody you look down in judgment on. This person does not like what they are into by and large. If, if, if you do, then you know conversion needs to take place. But God God wants to heal us. This is, a, this is an illness, whatever addiction we might have. God wants to transform us by the renewing of our what? Our minds. That's been our text all week. And that transformation can take place. And I want to give you just a couple of slides of a little bit of the studies that give you some hope on this issue. But if you're struggling with this, come back tomorrow and especially get the Overcoming Seminar from Chad and Fadia Cruiser's ministry, Anchor Point Films. It's down there in the booth. You can go to anchorpointfilms.com, pick up the Overcoming Seminar. It's not a I'm a porn addict seminar. Nobody's going to look at you and be like, oh, he's getting the Overcoming Seminar. He must be a, you know, that's not what it's about at all. It's overcoming any habits. If you've got a problem with chocolate, get the Overcoming Seminar. Learn these principles. I'm serious about this. And we cover overcoming principles in the media on the Brain Seminar as well on Disc 6, which we are not getting to to a great extent this week, but both of those would be helpful for you. Dr. Norman Deutsch, in The Brain That Changes Itself, says the following, and I don't endorse everything from our secular authors all week. There's a disclaimer that applies to everything we've said about these different psychiatrists, and a lot of them are atheists, but here what he has to, here's what he has to say about the science. He says, the current porn ep epidemic gives a graphic demonstration that sexual tastes can be, what's that next word? Acquired. What they've seen is sexual tastes and interests and things that stimulate change over time as you enter into the pornographic world. Well, guess what? If they can change for the worse, they can also change for the better. You can retrain, and the Holy, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. Now, if that's true from a scientific standpoint, that, that our tastes can be acquired, how much more true from a Christian point of view, right? This other slide, too, on this really is, is encouraging. When subjects of a study are shown pornographic images, which I don't think is a good study to do, but they've done it anyway, so we'll talk about it. They show them pornographic images in the study, and then they record how much sexual arousal is taking place in the brain. Well, then they ask other, other people, showing them the exact same images, they say to them, before they show them the images, they say, Restrain your sexual interest. Keep your interest in the, in the arousing elements of this image low. Keep that, that thought tamed. Well, guess what? Just general human beings, not even tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit, are able to reduce the amount of sexual arousal that they get out of images by just simply trying. Now, if that's true on a human level, how much more true will God give us the power and strength to overcome? Come back tomorrow and get the Overcoming Seminar to learn more about that. But I want to hand it over to Fadia right now. She wants to share a little bit on the topic of relationships while we're in this issue of, of, uh, of pornography um, from, a, from a lady's perspective. Um. I was just going to share one thing that he, I just thought of when he was speaking, and that's uh, Dr. Neil Nedley is actually working on a book about um, pornography and the addictions. And so if, if you're really interested in that, um, stay tuned. I'm not sure when he's coming out with that, but, but stay tuned. It's going to be really good. But some things that he has shared with me about that is that um, 
or in a crowd, he shared, is that at, an, at a young age, when you're exposed to these things, like around 11, it becomes very addictive and distorted in your mind, and you don't develop properly. If you show a 25-year-old man pornographic pictures, and he's never seen them prior to that, they are disgusting to him. Isn't that interesting? At 25 is when your frontal lobe is starting to finish its development, right? It's finishing. Prior to that, you are, your frontal lobe is still developing and still making your decisions in life. And you, you dwarf it when you expose yourself to these things at a young age. So um, I say to that, more power to the parents that shelter their children. I cannot stand, and I'm just going to say it, when people um, talk about parents that shelter their children, oh, what are they going to do when they expose them to the world? Well, hello, studies are showing that the world is nasty to them at a later age, right? But at a younger age, um, it's, it's addicting. It's addicting to see worldly things. But when you are more developed and you've made your own decisions in life, it's not as appealing. So um, that's just my little side thing there. But um, I have a question for those of you who are 20 and under. How many of you are dating or have dated? You're, you're welcome to raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Okay. And how many of, of those um, that are 20 and under have um, read the book Messages to Young People? A few. Okay, and how many of you read um, anything on courtship and marriage in the book Avenus Home? Okay, even less. And how about, um, there's a chapter in the book Education, uh, or our Councils in Education, I think I'm saying it right, on courtship and marriage. How many of you read any of that? Yeah, so... Then my question is, those of you that are dating, where do you get your counsel and um, advice from on how to do that? What have we been talking about these last couple of days? Media, exactly. We, I mean, in a crowd this big of the, this many young people, to have like just a few hands go up on, on um, counsel that we have been privileged to have as a people aren't even looking into it. Why? Because we have been bombarded with these ideas um, in the world, right? Myself included. We have been bombarded with these ideas of what dating is um, and what sexuality is, and um, it's not helped us, has it? No, you see these addictions that, that people are going through, um, and they're amazing. And I just want to say something real quick, because um, we were doing our overcoming seminar at a particular academy, and one of the teachers came, and uh, she told me that some of her girls are dealing with um, um, pornography issues. And guess when they started to um, get involved in it? They had been sitting in a conference like this, never been exposed to it, and got kind of curious. Uh, why are people so addicted to this? I wonder, you know, what's the big deal? And she started that way. So I want to give um, a disclaimer, please. If you are not dealing with this, do not even mess with it, okay? 
I'm sorry that if you, you have to hear these things because there are people that are struggling with it, so we have to discuss these things. But please, if you have never been exposed to it, do not do it. I plead with you as a loving parent would. Um, do, do not even um, tamper with it. Okay, with that said, um, I just wanted to share a quick quote just to kind of um, wet our whistle on, on um, things that we could be reading as young people to help us know how to deal with relationships and courtship and things like that. This is not a, a seminar on courtship and marriage, but I just wanted you to see the contrast between what we're seeing out there and what we're, we're being told. She says here, and this is from uh, Fundamentals of Christian Education, uh, chapter 12 on courtship and marriage. And she says here, in these days of peril and corruption, the young are exposed to many trials and temptations. Many are sailing in a dangerous harbor. They need a pilot, but they scorn to accept the much-needed help, feeling that they are competent to guide their own bark and not realizing that it is about to strike a hidden rock that may cause them to make shipwreck of faith and happiness. They are infatuated with the subject of courtship and marriage, and their principal burden is to have their own way. In this, the most important period of their lives, the most what? Important period of their lives, they need an unerring counselor and infallible guide. This they will find in the word of God. Unless they are diligent students of that word, they will make grave mistakes which will mar their happiness of um, mar their happiness and that of others, both for the present and future life. How important it is that we understand these issues. And she goes on to say, your most important thing right now as a young person is to know yourself. Doesn't that sound strange? But she says it's to know yourself and how you are. And specifically, she says, and how you are to address yourself with your parents, your relationship with your parents. She says that's the most important. And it's so neat, in this chapter, she uses the um, fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, in this particular issue. How many of us have undermined our parents in relationships because of what we've seen on television? I grew up um, watching a lot of television, you've heard me say that, and those of you that know, um, what, what are the parents like in the cartoon Charlie Brown? Can you do, the, can you do it? Wah, 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 right? That's, that's the parents. Charlie Brown and his friends are always talking together, always spending time together all the time, and the parents are always in the background. You know, you never know what they're saying. They're like, wah, 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 yeah, yeah, mom, uh-huh, blah, blah, blah. That's the perspective of parents that is seen, and it has come into our families. That's just one cartoon, my friends. There are many of them out there that are hitting families in ways that we don't even understand. And we wonder why we have such issues with our folks, right? We wonder why we can't relate to them. They are to be our confidants. They are to be the ones that, that we go to, counsel with, that we can share our deepest issues with, and yet we're afraid to. 
right? We have such a disconnect with them, um, and part of that is because we have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that we can have a family that can be trusted, and we're relying on, on the things of the world to make our way through this life. Um, I grew up, like I told you, in the church, but um, I was very active in sports. You heard him talking about sports earlier. I didn't just watch them, I played them. As a young girl, I played tackle football with the boys. I do not recommend that. Okay? I do not recommend that. Especially contact sports with, with um, boys is not a smart thing. And I remember my wise uh, teacher, he started noticing this, and um, then it just became like whenever there is a break or whatever, you know, we're all wrestling and doing whatever, and he just saw I was very active um, in that way with the boys. And so he called me in one time and talked to me privately, and he said, um, I just want to warn you that that kind of behavior doesn't stop there. And you know what? He was right because it had already started. And I just stood there frozen thinking, how did he know that? Folks, parents, adults, they know things and we think they don't, right? We think they don't. We think they can't relate to us. And he knew, he already knew. And I said, oh, I wish he had told me this before. But would I had listened? Would I have had listened? No, I don't think I would have. But it was things like that where I started realizing my relationships um, with the opposite sex, were, it was not healthy. I was looking for acceptance in the wrong places. I was looking for love in the wrong places, in the wrong ways. Praise the Lord, the Lord has healed me from that. We can talk about that later. But these are serious issues and um, media plays a large role in how this is done. Even, okay, let's say you're, you're, um, you've been brought up in a good Christian home, but you have Facebook, and you see what your other friends do on Facebook who maybe don't have the same values as you do, and you see them put pictures of their boyfriend up and all this other stuff, and you start to long for that. These are the things that you're dealing with. What, where do you stand? Have you figured out for yourself um, what the Lord wants of you? And the only way we can do that is seek the counsel that we have been given. So I challenge the young people to, to seek that counsel because that is our safeguard. That is our safeguard. Um, I'll tell you later if we get the time tomorrow on how the, whole, the Lord healed me of these things. You know, in closing... I want to say one thing, you know, especially to, to everybody, but to the young ladies in particular. Guys will respect you more if you stay pure. You think they'll like you more if you give yourself to them? You're totally deceived. You're totally deceived. Guys respect a girl who stays pure. Guys will actually want a girl more in the long run who stays pure. Even if you haven't stayed pure in the past, you can start today. And guys will still respect you for that. When you don't give yourself away. Jesus loves you and he can take us. He can, we can all start over no matter where we have been. If you've been looking at things on the internet, Jesus can give you victory. If you've been living a life of actual sin in, in the personal, inter, you know, these kind of things, God can, give, God can forgive. He's willing to forgive. And he can have you start over. 
And God can make you pure. He wants to do that for us, and He loves you. And just like Fadia said, just in case somebody's heard these things and it makes you curious, don't, don't have anything to do with it. Be faithful to Jesus. Jesus cares for you. And there's nothing like having a clean conscience being right with our Savior Jesus. Can everybody bow their heads just now? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, this is a, a, a silent time for a moment. Maybe there's somebody who you know you've been struggling in sin. It could be pornography. It could be actual in, in a, with a boy or a girl that you've been with or whatever. Um, or maybe there's someone just addicted to the internet. Maybe you are just literally constantly thinking about Facebook and you realize that really it's not giving you happiness. Whatever it is, maybe there's something in your life that God is calling you. It could be something else. Maybe gaming, whatever it is. In your heart right now, I want, I want you to bring it to God in prayer, asking God to give you the ultimate victory. I'm going to share one thing. So take some time with the Lord just now. I have one more challenge to make. This one's not as a secret. The other one was a secret. You can open your eyes for a moment. Is there anybody who would like to say, maybe you've heard some of these things and, and maybe you need a reset. Maybe you're just so stuck on these things. Or maybe you don't even know that it's an addiction, that it's, that's, that's such trouble to you. Maybe it's not, it's not an addiction, but you're just not balanced on the issue. Maybe there's someone who would like to take a media fast for how long, Scott? 30-day 30 30 media fast. Could you imagine? You won't know what humanity's doing for 30 days, right? No. <laughs> no. But what would it be like to just put it away for 30 days? Put away the internet, put away the video games, the television for 30 days. I can tell you the first few days may be very difficult, but I'll bet by the end you'll find that you're happier than you've been in years. Is there anybody, is there one person who would actually like to say, I want to I find out what that's like. I want to take a 30-day media fast. Is there anybody that would like to take that challenge? Amen. Amen. Well, listen. Give it a try. See what it's like. You can go on Facebook and you can tell everybody, I'm taking 30 days off. I won't see you for 30 days, right? <laughs> You know, I won't know what's happening on planet Earth for the next 30 days, right? But you, I want to challenge you, give it a try. If you stumble a day, start over. Yes. Can't hear you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me be very clear. I, meaning we run our business part on the internet. If you're someone who has to use email, meaning for your business purposes or for school, I mean, if there's specific reasons, we're being, we're being reasonable here. We're not, you know, we're not saying just shut it all off and don't pay attention to things you need to. Um, but we're talking about for unnecessary communication. Does that make sense? So we're being rational here. Don't, don't go crazy on it. Um, but just for things you don't need to. So I think you get the idea. But let's close with a prayer. We're going to close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you can give the ultimate divine victory that you can, you can help us to start over, that you can make us clean, that you can make us pure. And if we, if we have never gotten into these sins, you can keep us pure. The most powerful testimony 
and the most beautiful testimonies, those who've never turned from the faith. But Father, many of us have already, and I pray that you'd give us victory and that we can be cleansed. We can be made pure. Actually, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, verse 3, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So Father, we pray that you'd give us the victory and um, we just give ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.